of Ash and Flow. This is Unbillable Hours, a podcast about professional services marketing. Stick around and listen to our insights, tips, and best practices to improve your firm's marketing and even your career. So, for everyone who's uh, really keen on our podcast, we know that like dozens of you, like the joke dozens and goes, dozens of fans. Yeah. yeah. Bear in mind, this is this episode is very nerdy and very geeky and quite yeah. detail oriented. So you might want to take a few breaks sometimes if you're getting bored, which we don't think you would. But at the same time, bear in mind, we have a really special topic today, right, Flo? Yeah. We have, and and I should also say, yeah, take breaks if you need to, but don't run away. Push through it; it'll it'll very much be worth it, because yes. you'll be answer, you'll be able to answer questions like, what's what's a client's lifetime value for the firm, and how much money is too much money to spend to acquire one, and all these good things at, at the yes. back end of it. So stay with yes. us for this one. We'll say welcome back, everybody, to this new episode of the Unbillable Hours podcast. Yeah, uh, welcome back. Flo and I have had some really good discussions prior to the podcast. Uh, just so you guys are aware, we generally discuss the type of topics that we want to talk about before we come in, and then we just let it rip because we yeah. are not a rehearsed, practiced bunch of this thing. We just like to talk. And that's how this whole thing began in the first place. Well, to, yeah, to be, but to be fair, there is talking points and we're, we're adding some yes. substance to it, but that's not, yes. that's all there is, folks. Sorry. Yeah, just giving you a tiny bit of thing because the two of us have been at it quite intensely today. And so, <laughs> so today's topic, I, I'd like to introduce this for because I know you're going to be the yeah. one doing a lot of the talking. We are going to talk about unit economics, right, Flo? Yeah, we are, um, which that's a concept uh, of, you know, basic, basic managing a company with certain financial views, I think. And yeah, I mean, you and I always talk about like marketing and sales and business priorities and how they should all align and come together. And we agree that marketing needs to be measured against business performance, against business results and yeah. aligning closely with sales. So. How do you do this? Like, what goes into it, and how do you measure this? And that's why we started. You know, we want to talk yep. about unit economics, or rather, flow. I let you read because this is my <laughs> favorite topic. Just kidding. Yeah. So, talking about business, right? Business mm -hmm. unit economics. I, I think maybe we should touch upon what it, what it is, right? And, yeah. and I know you tried to go back in history and figure out who came up with it and when it came about. Uh, I we didn't quite land on it. Probably Taylorism times. I don't know. Essentially, I think. The idea is that unit economics is, is just a way of looking at the relationship between revenue and cost through the lens of a specific unit. So it could be one widget right from your manufacturing line, or, or it could be per factory or whatever. I think in, in our consulting world, it makes a lot of sense to look at uh, revenue costs per client and or uh per engagement or project or whatever the the, the, the phrase is right so i think yeah, that's yeah. the definition out of the way and i'm i'm I've, i'm just flipping the order of talking points we had actually i realized <laughs> no, no no that's fine and uh when we talk about projects let's also bear in mind that um, large-scale consultancy firms run transformation so essentially 
the first transformation is a project yeah. and the next one it is and the next one it so you may be running a program that runs anywhere between like three and ten years but that has multiple projects and your unit economic should yeah. be for those individual projects because in the life cycle of your program you might be upselling you might be scaling and you might be changing and they have yeah. different <laughs> metrics for the whole thing yeah and I mean, what you mentioned there is, we should be honest about this, it can get quite complicated, like even 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 the definition of what is a client, right? Because they have business yeah. units, and then they have and there's budget splits and all that stuff. So exactly. depending on how large your firm is, how large the engagements are, that can get a bit complicated. And we will not get into the weeds of solving that. But I think your point still stands, right? You have to define what the unit is, then you look at the firm economics at that we'll get into what that actually means. But I think maybe reinforcing what you already said. The reason why we do that is because you should be measuring marketing success against business results. And unit economics can just be a powerful way of understanding uh, mm -hmm. business results, especially in a an environment that is so, you know, complex and, and high in variance as is consulting, right? Because you're not selling cars and each car has the same sticker price are roughly the same, but you're selling consulting projects and engagements and pilot projects and retainers and whatnot. So it gets messy pretty quickly and unit economics can, can be an interesting way of trying to manage the complexity or maybe, yeah, reduce it to, to a certain point. So that makes a good question to the next segment, Flo. Why do we use it? <laughs> yeah, I think um, if you get a handle on, on revenue and costs on a unit level, what it allows you to do is you, you get a much clearer picture on the underpinning financials of business processes, like overall any process, but we are looking at the marketing business process, right? So you could say, you could start having discussions around how much do we pay to bring in a project or a client, right? Whatever the unit is. Um, how, much, how much profit do those generate in the first year for us? And what then is an okay amount of money to spend to bring a new client in versus when is it too much? And all these, you know, these kinds of discussions is what you can have, which you can unlock once you understand the, the unit economics. And that is, I think the second reason to do it, you, you then suddenly have these finance and I call them financialized discussions with the business. You, you no longer just discuss awareness and likes and impressions, which they often get berated as vanity metrics. And I might have berated them as vanity metrics in the past as well, but they do have their place in, tactical marketing and optimizations, right? They are not unimportant, but they won't help you with your standing with the business. Being able to talk about unit economics de definitely will. <laughs> Just oh, yeah. yeah. Because that goes right into the, the pocketbooks of, of partners and so forth, right? And then I think the third one is probably obvious or it's closely connected to the other ones. If you, if you have a handle on costs, you can talk about return on investment for certain things. And that means you can just have much, much smarter decisions uh made um on all things marketing and i'm saying can because and and we we will hopefully reiterate this throughout how helpful any of this stuff is highly depends on the definitions you use right what is a client you, you touch upon that what is a project um and also on the time frames you pick right return of investment like it doesn't make sense to have unit economics like how much dollars in revenue did we generate with so this wait, uh, Flo, blog post, uh, right? That never works. But um, yeah, so Flo, I, I do want to interrupt to say that yeah. we are talking about unit economics 
from a marketing perspective here. Yes. Because unit economics can be beyond that. While you said, yeah, it doesn't have to be, that is still unit economics in for a firm, but not in the marketing function. So bear in mind, yeah. we are very specific here. Okay, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. So, um, yeah, that's a good point. So, so I guess what I'm trying to say is why use it? Well, because it will help you do whatever it is you do better and talk about it in financial terms, but beware, right? These again are concepts and models. So even though you, you now get to use the odd dollar sign here and there, doesn't, it's not, it's not accounting level bookkeeping, mm -hmm. right? Um, but it does increase transparency and visibility quite a lot. So we really uh, recommend you oh, yeah. dive into them and, and try to get a handle on your firm's unit economics and start using those in and, marketing. Yeah. And bear in mind, this is one of the ways to justify why your firm needs marketing and why you actually exist, your raison d'etre for being a marketer. So unless you actually are able to explain in terms of like, the actual purpose, function, and how you're driving revenue, you will face the constant issue of like trying to explain why what you do matters. And we've talked about things before where marketing goes ahead and does something. It shouldn't just do something, it, it needs to align. And unit economics is one of the things that you, you can use to show how it drives revenue. Yeah, and, and you mentioned revenue, and I think that that's important because if, if you have a handle on unit economics, you, you can um, link marketing to revenue. You can also link it to other guys or whatever the phrase is you, you might have seen elsewhere, as seen on TV. You know, you, you probably have seen in, in the world of software as a service companies or elsewhere where, you know, marketing is much more numbers driven. But but if with, with unit economics in hand, you can talk about pipeline velocity or throughput, right? You can talk about mm -hmm. sales cycles. You can talk about cost of sales and how marketing lowers those over time, right? If it's done right and all these yeah. things. So yeah, that's good point. So, yeah, so that's the, you, you bring a really good point there, Flo. So like, how can, you know, our marketing friends who are listening here use it? Like, what do they have to do? Yeah, so let's, um, so to, to get ahead of sales a little bit, a little bit, I think, getting a handle on the unit economics requires asking specific questions to the business and we'll we'll give you all, not all of those but many i think also in the show notes I'll, I'll just put it there again but we go through them in a minute that's the general idea but in order to get to that point where you can ask the questions a few things might have to happen before that right ash this is this is mm -hmm. where you and your stakeholder management um again come in as we discussed before because you've got to collaborate with the business of sales to to line it up right yeah you mean you basically need to set your processes, right? In terms of like working with the business to define your sales process, your stages, the terms, what your units yeah, are, exactly. what's an opportunity, how do we connect this to revenue, giving yeah. them, you know, giving them good discipline exactly. and all that. Go ahead. The, no, that's that's exactly right, because that's what I mentioned earlier is you this how helpful those concepts are is very dependent on your definition. So to your point. Yes, it definitely should start with sitting down with the business and getting those definitions or aligning around them. Uh, very, you know, if, what what is a lead? What is it qualified? What do we mean? What do we mean around here when we say, "Oh, something just became an opportunity"? Like it's, um, and we will link back to the episode um, with Mark Wainwright, right? Who talked about this 
very definition of a sales process like that absolutely has to happen but uh, so that's one thing getting the definitions right but you made a comment before we recorded about the also the the, the processes that have to do with data input maintenance of data data quality all these, these types oh of yes things, right? yes so absolutely we need you need to have good data hygiene habits here you see you need to instill that within your sales teams because you a Whenever they hit a touch point, be it an event, be it like an email, a form, whatever, you need to make sure that they have the right details so that you can put them in the right, you know, you can make sure that these leads can be qualified one way or the other. You need to make sure that um, each touch point is being captured where you've driven conversion, where you've driven conversation and what has happened from it. And of course, these kinds of things are really important to make sure that your efforts can be connected on both ends. Otherwise you get to a point where you don't know who's responsible for what in terms of success. And let's be fair, what you really need in a good organization is collaboration. And that's that, that's essentially how this goes. And um, I think you also talked about that and you also mentioned that already in the, in the episode with Mark, right? The, how difficult it can be to, to get the business to put into these systems yeah. but but you need them to because and i think this is where we get a little bit into into the questions right um because what you want to do is then go back to the business and the the sales teams and ask them things which will in the next step help you calculate some of those uh fancy kpis which you might have or indicators which you might have heard about like client lifetime value or cost of acquisitions these type of things right but um so I don't know. Should we so, just uh, go through the questions and, and rattle them off? I, I feel like we Yeah, I think you should go through the questions. So yeah, Flo, go ahead. Yeah. So um, the what I uh, think makes sense to ask, like this is not super important for unit economics, but I also, I challenge myself to always ask how many clients do we actually have right now? Mm -hmm. Because you can laugh about this if you're a better position than me, but I used to do marketing for a practice a long time. And if you had asked me how many clients is this practice servicing right now, I would not have had an idea. And I mean, it's pretty normal to not, I think if, if the if it's a bit of a larger firm, it's pretty normal to not know every client or not be fully aware of everything coming in, but you should be able to sort of give the right swim lane, right? So, and I, I for, for some months or years I did this, I would not have been able to do that. I couldn't tell you, was it 20? Was it 50? Don't know. So maybe that's a, that's a good place to start. So how many clients do we currently have? Just so you know, right? Mm -hmm. And then And then maybe also ask how much revenue does that, give us in the practice. Yeah. So you already have a sort of an idea of the unit economics, like how much, what, what might be the, the revenue per client on average or, or, or median value anyways. So then I ask, and that's actually the next question I would recommend. What's, what's our median yearly revenue per client roughly, right? Again, we're doing sort of back of the napkin stuff here. This is not accounting. No one goes to jail if it's wrong, we need, but we need a, a rough idea of stuff going on. Why do I say median? I'm not a statistician, but it's, you know, uh, the median is like where you find the point where half the clients make less revenue half, the other half brings more this is important to do i think because if you if you go with mean averages um yeah. there's uh you create maybe quite a big error in your data because uh depending on how your consulting firm works usually there's huge variance right there's there's tw the twenty thousand dollar odd workshop pilot project project over here and then there's the 1.7 million transformation project over there so just going with Averages maybe distorts the picture. So I'm, I'm using median here. If if someone listening 
has good reasons for why that's a shitty idea, you know, hit us up and tell me how you'd measure it. But that's how I do it. So median yearly revenue, sorry, per client. Ask the same question. This is important for gross profit per client, right? Um, we'll get into that a little bit later why that's important. And then, um, and then how many clients did you win every year in the past three years? Or how many new clients did we get last year? Whatever it is, right? That that's gets into now marketing territory because we want to know, you know, how much how many of them come in regular on a regular basis. I say three years, so you have a bit of a longer time span. You can also ask last year, last half year, whatever. Yeah, let, let, let's let the teams quantify the years because it could be one to yeah. ten. Let's be fair. Let, let, let's talk about it like what it's likely to be is your project duration. So True. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. Depending on how the how the business works, which again, that's also an interesting part of unit economics is understanding that. Like it's the majority of our business selling small scale projects, which means we have yeah. lots of pressure on marketing to bring on new projects. Uh, or are we selling retainer-like engagements? And if we get one or two new clients every three years, you will be fine, right? You know, these these are good conversations to have. Um, which, speaking of that, right, that's the next question. How long do clients typically stay? Um, uh, again, median, right, in years. Again, yeah. And and I, uh, you'll see sense behind that question in a bit because that really, this is where we can get the inputs we need to calculate the client mm -hmm. lifetime value. Um, and then uh, you could also ask um, how, in, in, as a percentage of all clients, how many clients expand their initial engagement? That could be a good question. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, um, if you really want to dive deep, you also say, what's what's the, me again, median values, what's the median value in uh, maybe gross profit is probably the best metric of these expansions. Again, important to calculate client lifetime. Well, we, we'll, we'll get back to this. Yeah. Um, and then the last question, and this is this is the tricky discussion where you'll have to help the business through it. They they will probably not have this number ready, but how much did you spend? Still talking about the clients from the past three years which came in to win those, or if it's projects, it will be so, projects. Yeah. Right. So let's think about it as prechargeable value. That's yeah. essentially what it is. Prechargeable value. So it's your marketing program, it's your sales program, and your initial cost to opportunity, which is usually a chargeable thing on someone's budget. Yeah. So it's important. Um, so the, the the way you do this is you sort of ballpark a figure mm -hmm. you've you've spent on new business generation. Yeah. Over the past three years, and then you divide it by the number by the number of clients that came in. Right. If if you spend a mm -hmm. hundred thousand for marketing programs, salaries and marketing, business development programs, and the, the salaries, the partner time spent on business development activities, right? Because that's these are the inputs into that figure, 100,000, you brought in two clients. Okay, that's a cost of client acquisition of 50 grand per client. Now, these are very stupid numbers, but to, to keep the examples. Uh, yeah, I think for our friends in consulting, it's easier to just go even chargeable because, you know, how many yeah. hours did you spend on doing this business, pursuing this business opportunity? Yeah. And I want to double click on this just a little bit because this, I find this with many of my clients. The 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 hidden cost is, is probably easy to figure out. What was the marketing budget and how many how much do I yeah. pay the people in the marketing department? Cool, that's easy. So program spend and marketing salaries or sales salaries easy. The, the difficult part to nail down, and this is why I say you probably have to ballpark this, is if once you start asking senior managers, partners, and so forth, 
uh, well, how much of your time did you actually invest in business development? It gets it gets murky very quickly. And I, I get your point with the charge codes, Ash, but not every firm has this with the necessary discipline. And let's let's be honest, there's lots of buffoonery going on with those. Oh, yeah. Time gets charged where yeah. and whatnot. So this will never be a super precise measure. That's again why, why I'm reinforcing ballpark, your, yeah. your ballparking this, right? Mm-hmm. But once you have these inputs, and there might be a couple more worth clicking down into, you can now start doing some serious damage in terms of calculating, so sort of putting into relationships things like um, things like uh, revenue, cost, time to cash, and so forth. Oh, sorry, I forgot one question, which is how, how long does it typically take to bring in a client, meaning from they became a contact first or some firms measure it uh, from the beginning of when something becomes an opportunity. Again, that's why defining it clearly is important to actually them buying a deal. What's what's the what's the through time here? This is also often very important. Um, man, that's sort of. I feel like I'm. It's very detailed, and we're sort of blasting people. With stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, I'll definitely well, put that in the show notes. Um, I thought it was a high level thing when we wrote it up, but now going through it, it's a lot of stuff. No, it's it's a lot of stuff because some of these things are being like. We're speaking from experience of having done some of this, basically. So as you, as we mentioned earlier, we may have notes, but we still talk because these things need to be discussions. Yeah. And um, I think, although this is now a lot of detailed information, it's also, if you read it in the show notes, it's, it's just a bunch of bullet points. And you can get that data because it should be in the system. So it's not that complicated. And like mm-hmm. I said, you can you can do these calculations on a high level, like you know, median values on the business or practice level for the past three years, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's actually you can do this with highly aggregated numbers and still get to a point that's better than where you are today if you don't have any of those unit economics yeah. KPIs in place. So so now the, don't lose hope. Some of these, Sorry. Yeah, don't lose yeah. Now once you have these things, right? In order to iterate, in order to make these whole things, let's. Let's use how how we can do it. Um, I know you've written this down, Flo, in talking about like uh, pipeline velocity, and that's a key thing because looking at how long it starts from the marketing program till deal till transformation, this is how you can start to like define the first cycle, first iteration, and then we can continue with that. So, yeah, yeah, pipeline velocity. I'll get into. I'll start with the customer lifetime value first, which is mm-hmm. essentially this idea of. What is a client, or you could also probably do this for projects, what is a project's worth to our company on average or in the median or whatever <laughs> metrics yeah. they want to use. Yeah. Um, and, and shout out here, and we'll put the link into the show notes, to a company I don't know anything about, which is called First Page Sage. Uh, they have written an article, which we'll link to, called The Average Customer Lifetime Value for a Services Company. It's an interesting breakdown. Uh, which you might like to dive into because they have specific values there um, and they explain how to calculate it. And I think what they've put here is very valid. Again, point being, there's a variety of ways to calculate customer lifetime value exist. Um, I'm going to to just mention and walk you through theirs. Uh, and I want to explicitly state that if you Google CLV, and you find calculations which have been made for software as a service companies, those kind of work for your professional services business, but then not really. So we calculate it a bit differently. 
Yeah. That said, um, the, the the overall idea is that if the the lifetime value of your client would be typically um, the average revenue per client, right? Mm -hmm. For in a year, multiplied with the average client lifespan. So how long does the typical client stay in your company, right? That's why we asked all these questions to the business. Again, multiplied by the gross profit margin. Um, and that gives you, theoretically speaking, I, the, the first sort of approximation of the client lifetime value. Now, now, and this is where I recommend you read the article I just mentioned and we'll link to it. There are a few factors you can also bring into this very simple formula, which is you can also put in a factor to calculate for the likelihood and value of a service expansion, right? Yeah, client comes service in, expansion. stays a little, and then you expand the, the value of the engagement. And that is, you should definitely do that because that's just, you know, most of consulting works that way. Absolutely. And you, could, yeah. and you can even, you can even calculate the likelihood of a new customer referral or client referral, and even the likelihood of a reference reference or case study. So because you can put it's a little bit again, it's not account, super precise accounting, but you can give ballpark dollar figures to each of these. And again, I, I will point people to the article, but um, to give you just one example, um, if we say a firm's revenue per client in the first year is 120 grand, mm -hmm. right? And the typical customer stays with the firm for uh, 3.4 years or 41 months, right? That means you can do this in your head. The mm -hmm. lifetime value simple metric is 408,000 if the client doesn't expand their campaign, right? Um, this is the simplest calculation which doesn't factor in the, the gross profit margin. Um, and now just because I feel like it's too much stuff already. But if you then include a variable for the service expansion and you say, okay, park that, what we just calculated, but let's look back to our questions. And the business has told us 43% of the time, a client will expand the initial engagement, right? And uh, the value of those expansions, again, the median value of those is $48,000 per year, right? beginning in the yeah. second year. So over a 3.4 year lifetime, the expansion then totals $201,600. And I'll, I'll stop the math here, but you see how that changes the customer lifetime value equation. Uh, you don't have to do the math in your head. I have it here. The 408,000 suddenly become 494,000. It's much closer to half a million dollars client lifetime value. And stop the calculations here, but you see what you can now do with this number, because to go back to my example from earlier, if someone asks you, is it is it actually okay to spend fifty grand to bring in a client, right? Um, now you know that the overall lifetime value of that client is five hundred grand, and it might be totally fine. Again, that depends on your business model and the profit expectations and so forth. But you, suddenly you can have these kinds of conversations with the business. I'll, I'll pause here, Ash, but because that was a lot of CLV. But you, you, I, I hope people can see what the value of getting their heads yeah. around these types of numbers is. The, yeah, this is definitely something for the more detail oriented, and it's definitely going to help you guys <laughs> as you look into it. Yes, yes. So. And you don't have to understand, to your point, you're very right, Ash. You probably don't even have to do the calculations yourself, mm -hmm. but ask the business the question. So you have the input variables and then find someone who can crunch the numbers for you. Mm -hmm. 
and then take those back to the business to discuss the validity. But you can you can have a converse, you have a conversation here about the fundamentals of a marketing model. It's directly linked to the cash the firm has in its accounts, right? It's yes. a completely different discussion than discussing Facebook likes. I'm sorry, so again, not to diss that too much, but it's suddenly you're very you're very what they call strategic where what they mean when they say strategic is you're very close to the dollars. And I think that's a good thing too. Mm -hmm. It's a good place to be for marketers and, and a place we need to be more often. Okay. Before everybody sort of stops listening to this, just touch on pipeline velocity very, very quickly. And I'm not, we will link another article article for this, this one by Databox. Essentially what pipeline velocity is, is it refers to the speed with which a lead you bring in moves through the entire sales pipeline and becomes a contract and eventually revenue. And this is a very, very um, interesting indicator because it allows you to predict cash flow for the firm, right? Money in the bank from leads. If you know your pipeline velocity on average, you can say, okay, I brought in a uh, hundred leads this month, right? <laughs> I don't know, I've just made that number up, probably quite a huge number. Um, but you could have a conversation with the CFO what that means for the cash in the bank next quarter, right? So it's a very, very powerful metric to have. And essentially what you do there is you multiply the qualified opportunities in your pipeline with the average deal size and your overall win rate. And then you would divide all that thing by the length of your sales cycle. Again, you see how that harkens back to the questions we asked the business. And you get a very, very powerful number to play with because again, now you can suddenly show if you can uh, increase that number, if you can increase the speed with which leads move from I registered on your website to I paid an invoice, you know, the finance side of the firm will love you for it. So obviously that is a very, very interesting number to have. I feel like we've exhausted everybody. Um, no, it's been really, uh, I, it's been really educative and informative for a lot of people, for sure. I think with that, though, Flo, I yeah. think it's... Let's wrap it. I'm going to go. Book. All right. I'm going to stop the recording right here. Yeah. Uh, have a nice Friday, he says, and then continues to record. Uh, have a nice Friday. <laughs> Speak soon, Ash. That was a good one. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Unbillable Hours. If you want more, tune in next week. You know where to find us. Yeah. A very geeky episode indeed. Do we need to apologize for it? I don't think we need to apologize for it. No, we don't. No, that was good. I think um, we had to. We had to go there. We Numbers. Go. They are important. Anyways. Mm -hmm.